This is Spiritual Directors Talking About Stuff, the podcast where spiritual directors talk about stuff. How do we experience God? How do we evolve in our understanding of faith? How do we expand our picture of God's love? These questions and more will guide our talks. Here are your hosts, Chris Aker and Maggie Schlosser. Welcome to the second episode of Spiritual Directors Talking About Stuff. In the last episode, Chris and I each gave a super brief bio about ourselves and briefly talked about what spiritual direction is. Now, we would love for you to get to know both of us a little bit better, and so the next two episodes will be each of Chris and my sacred stories. A sacred story is our journey to how we got to where we are today to look back and see how we have grown over our life and to see where God was working in all of it. And the idea of sacred story is so important for spiritual direction. Um, and it really introduces the idea of contemplation to be able to look back and see God in all things. And so we want to spend a little bit more time to introduce ourselves to you. So today we're going to start with Chris. Hi, Chris. Hey, Maggie. I am so excited to hear more about your story. So tell us a little bit about uh, who you are and how you got to where you are today. Okay. Um, I grew up in the Southern Baptist Church in a suburb of New Orleans, Louisiana, which was an interesting dichotomy of being in an evangelical church in the Protestant world in a predominantly Catholic culture. Um, I didn't know what to think of Catholics when I grew up, but um, I have since discovered that there is a, a depth of spirituality in the ancient faith traditions like Catholicism and Orthodox that's conspicuously missing in the Protestant world. Um, I was saved in the Baptist understanding of the word in 1987 at Vacation Bible School. Um, I was 10 years old at the time. Uh, and I was in the Southern Baptist world until I went to college at Georgia Tech in uh, 1995. Uh, I got introduced to Reform theology there and dove headfirst into Calvinism, as is usually the case. Um, I became your typical mean-spirited, arrogant, know-it-all Calvinist. And um, that was in the late 1990s. Uh, by the early 2000s, I had began to sense a, a call to some form of ministry. I didn't know what form it would take back then, but I sensed that it was some kind of uh, pastoral ministry. Uh, so following that call, I, I entered seminary on three different occasions to pursue different degrees, degrees um, like biblical counseling or Christian education or something else, but none of it really felt right to me. So I, I would never get very far. Um, I would take one or two classes and then decide this is not for me. So I quit sometime around 2007, I was attending another Southern Baptist church in Georgia and, uh, I was in the, the band, I played keyboards and it was a wonderful time. I have lots of great memories from that time of, of being in the band with those folks. Um, and at, at around 2007, uh, the, the, the music minister or band leader left to pursue seminary. And the leadership asked me to lead the band for a little while while they could uh, find someone new. And I agreed to do it, although I didn't really think I would be good at it or it wasn't something I was passionate about. But I went ahead and um, 
uh, agreed to do it. And during that time, as I sort of stepped into the inside workings of the church machine, I started to see how the sausage was made, so to speak, and uh, got very disillusioned with the institutional church at the time. I don't know, you know, I don't know if the spirit of God leads you to things to read when you need to read it about what you're going through, or you start looking for things to read to help you sort through it, but probably a little bit of both. But I discovered and began reading books by authors like John Zins and Wayne Jacobson, which are all about um, sort of dismantling the modern style of corporate church and going back to the Acts 2 style churches. And a book that really impacted me at the time was Wayne Jacobson's book, So You Don't Want to Go to Church Anymore. Uh, and that really appealed to me. Um, so this all really started weighing on me at the time, and I eventually stepped away from the band and that church, and I was praying for God to lead me to a church like what I had been reading about. Coinciding with all of this happening at the church were also problems brewing in my engineering company, so I started kind of putting my feelers out to find a new job and eventually landed a, an engineering job in Knoxville, Tennessee, and I moved up to Knoxville in 2008. Even though I desired to find a house church or something very small and intimate, um, I took the easy way out and immediately began going to a Baptist megachurch in Knoxville because it was what I knew and what it was comfortable at the time. Uh, about a year and a half later, I met um, the woman who had become my wife. And what do you know, she was going to a small house church in Knoxville. And after we had been dating for a while, I visited that house church. I was so nervous. I remember I left with big wet spots under my underarms because I was just sweating profusely. It was, it was, I was very uncomfortable, but um, but I met the pastor there and he was doing this thing where he would meet with people one-on-one -on -one for spiritual guidance. So I met with him um, and I just wanted to talk to him about some questions that I had and some um, things I was wrestling with. And one of those questions was whether or not uh, after uh, my wife Elizabeth and I got married, whether we would go to the Baptist church I was going to or, or go to the house church that she was going to. Um, so he introduced me to the practice of listening prayer, where pretty much for the entire hour that we met together, we would simply sit in silence and listen to God. And in one meeting, I was wrestling with this question about where to go to church. And just as clearly, um, you know, as you and I are talking, Maggie, I heard God say, Chris, you asked me for a small, intimate church, and that is what this church is. That is what Hope Christian Fellowship is. What more do you want? And I knew then that was it. We were going to go to the house church, not the Baptist mega church. So we attended that little house church for eight years uh, after we got married. And it was one of the best experiences I've ever had related to church. It was so loving, intimate and familial. And, and they, they made it so, uh, they made it so good uh, just getting to know one another. I made so many great enduring friendships that I still maintain today and I learned how to listen to and hear the Holy Spirit. Before that, I had never heard from God personally. I didn't even know that the Holy Spirit would speak to you at all, much less have ever had ever had that experience. So I learned that it's possible and we should expect it. And in one of those sessions of, um, of meeting with the pastor, um, I was thinking about how wonderful a ministry this was that the pastor was doing and just meeting with people one-on-one. -on -one. I didn't know what it was called. 
he just called it meeting with people. In that session, I heard the Spirit say to me, you know, Chris, you'd be good at this too. And so it was then that the seed was planted for me to um, to become a spiritual director. Um, after eight years of attending that church, it disbanded because the pastor began suffering from dementia. And so we all just had this, you know, we just all had a discussion over the series of months and decided that, you know, this little church called Hope Christian Fellowship had served its purpose well for many years. And it, it was just time for it to um, kind of, um, well, I guess, just end its life. You know, it was, it was, it served its purpose. So we all started kind of visiting different things around, um, uh, around town. My wife and I started attending, uh, an Anglican church near our house. At first I was very hesitant because I didn't know anything about Anglicanism at the time, but it soon grew on me very quickly over the course of a few months. It grew on me and the liturgy often brought me to tears. Um, I even considered for a short while getting ordained as a priest. It was there that I learned that this this meeting with people that the pastor was doing all those years ago is called spiritual direction. I never knew that at the time. So, um, so you know, the Anglican Church was really good, and and, and uh, it helped me to uh, discover more about spiritual direction and learn that there's actually schools that teach that. And so, I enrolled in uh, one of those schools called Richmond Graduate University, where I met Maggie. Um, it's a two-year program. So that kind of brings me to where we are today. Well, I would like to share very quickly one of my first impressions of you. And I remember when you were talking about the Anglican church uh, two years ago when we met, um, was you had said that it was both liturgical and contemporary and sacramental and experiential. And I remember thinking like, oh my gosh, can I just come to church with you? Like, I just want to move to Knoxville (laughs) and go to church with you. Um, So I know that the Anglican church had really touched you. And I thought that was really, really neat. One thing that you mentioned last week, Chris, was that something that you and I have in common is um, that we both have gone through this journey through deconstructing our faith. Can you tell us a little bit more about that part of your journey? Yeah, I'd be glad to. Um, It's kind of ironic that, um, you know, I had such glowing things to say about the Anglican church and um, you know, it really intrigued you as well because, um, you know, I, I'll start by saying that we had a very good experience in the Anglican church for about two years. Um, we met many great friends there and were really drawn into the liturgy and we got involved in, um, many different ministries, um, uh, spiritual direction. I was, I was one of their spiritual directors and then, um, we got involved in, um, the, their small group ministry called table group, um, and that's kind of at that kind of at that point after about two years being at the Anglican Church, things started going south. Uh, it wasn't the very beginning of my deconstruction, which um, I really had been um, feeling like that God was working on me in a lot of different ways and a lot of different um, beliefs uh, for probably, oh gosh, maybe fifteen years or so. Um, I mentioned that I had read books about. Um, about the small house church uh, style churches, Acts two style churches from an author named Wayne Jacobson. So that's really the what really kind of started my my questioning because I started getting really um, disillusioned with the institutional church. Uh, and then when I began attending the house church, 
um, just being in the experience of, of, of hearing God and listening to uh, God's loving uh, words to you know to me in these spiritual direction sessions that I was doing with the pastor really broke apart my uh, beliefs about Calvinism and the angry God that controls everything. Um, I just I I set aside I set aside those beliefs and and realized that God is not angry at us. God loves us and God wants us um, to be He wants us to be in community with Him. And then. Um, I guess a few years later, I uh, stumbled upon um, a book by an author named Julie Ferwerda called Raising Hell. And it was a book that um, kind of broke apart my ideas of hell. And um, I realized that the Bible doesn't really talk about the kind of hell that we were always taught about growing up. And if that's true, then well, then what happens after we die? And so then I started going down the road of uh, universal salvation and and it made perfect sense to me. Um, but once I started down that road, I knew that I could never go back um, to believing in hell or to believing in an angry God. And I began really processing these thoughts with my spiritual director who, um, when, we, when we joined the Anglican church, I... I I started meeting with one of their spiritual directors who was one of the Anglican priests there. And so I was, I was exploring these thoughts of universal salvation and no hell and um, even biblical inerrancy. And, and so he would allow me to talk about them, um, but he would always push back uh, using scripture and claiming that, you know, we have these doctrines that have been passed down. Um, for hundreds of years and or centuries, you know, and, and that it can't be changed. This is the way the doctrine of the church is. I mean, who are you to be questioning this? Um, so it didn't really deter me though, because I felt like it was, I felt like it was really God and the Holy Spirit um, drawing me forward in and out of these, some of these beliefs that I decided were uh, no longer true. Um, I started getting bolder about sharing those feelings and, and questions that I was uh, wrestling with on my Facebook page. And so, you know, I, I was I was getting more public with these these ideas. And a few days after Easter this year, I received an email from uh, my spiritual director saying that some people in the parish had expressed some concern about some of one of my Facebook posts. And so um, I and my wife were called in and uh, to to the priests and we were talked to about that post that post and uh things you know didn't really go well i just kind of i laid out my beliefs and and they didn't agree with them of, of course and uh i guess my my post was um i think it was on good friday actually and i said something like let's stop making god be the angry god who had to punish jesus on the cross for our sins and um, Christ was, you know, God was in Christ reconcil- reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them. That's the good news. Now go tell, in some, go tell somebody that and don't mention anything about sin because you don't have to do anything. You're already included in that saving work of Christ on the cross. And that was what they didn't like. They didn't like the part about not having to say something about sin. Um, and so, you know, one of the things I learned in my house church was that, you know, 
focusing on sin is so um, counterproductive and even harmful. So um, I just decided, you know, sin has been taken care of once for all on the cross. Let's stop harping on it. Let's just tell everyone about, um, you know, that, that they're included in the saving work of Christ on the cross. And that's, that's all we need to do. Um, well, you know, after all that came out in the meeting, uh, we were, we were essentially told that we could no longer be member. We could no longer be, um, in charge of a table group, which or the small group, I could no longer be a spiritual director there. And, um, it was, it was really a difficult experience. And so we ended up deciding that the table at that church was too small for us. So we had to move on and we decided we could not go back to that church anymore. So that was obviously a very difficult experience. Um, and this is all during, um, the coronavirus pandemic, when we were all in a, a difficult situation already. And on top of all that, we had um, a single mother living with us with her two kids for six months. So we were all under uh, immense pressure and strain. So um, this was a very difficult experience, but um, we did walk away and we um, have been and still are working through that and grieving that, that process and that experience. Um, but God has really showed me a lot of things about himself and um, through that experience. And so it's not all for naught. Um, gosh, I'm so sorry that all of that has happened to you. That is a lot to hold, especially in the middle of a pandemic, um, just to keep piling on all of the, all of the stress that we're going through. Um, I love how you described the house church earlier as loving, intimate, and familial. And uh, it sounds, I hear that there was a time where the Anglican church was that for you. And now you describe it as the table is too small. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting dichotomy because we did meet a lot of great people at the Anglican church and, and we still, um, we still maintain connection with them now. Um, but you know, it just it just goes to show that when when people start stepping outside the bounds of what they consider to be the proper you know the proper set of doctrines, then um, then you get kind of pushed out of that of that family. Yeah, um, it sounds like your image of God has really evolved um, through even just in the last few months since all of this happened. Um, so, can you tell us a little bit about what God looked like to you as a child and how it's changed to now. Yeah. Growing up, God was this distant other entity that didn't seem very personal. I heard about God's love and about God's wrath um, plenty from, from the pulpit. Um, and I was always a very compliant child. <laughs> Maybe I'm rebelling against that part of myself now, but <laughs> I just believed what those in authority told me, parents, school teachers, Sunday school teachers, preachers, whatever. I didn't question it, but I did get the impression that if I did question, it could only be within certain parameters. You know, I certain, certainly could not question big things like God's existence or Jesus's divinity, those kinds of rock solid doctrines that you need to, you know, that really you, you have to believe in order to be a Christian, essentially. Um, so, you know, God was never very personal. Um, and over the years, 
my image of God has gone through several shifts. Um, I would, you know, I think the Calvinist God that I um, kind of latched onto in college and a few years after college was really just a kind of a, the, the next phase of the God that I kind of grew up knowing. Um, and, you know, the, that certainly is not a very personal God. Um, then the person, the pendulum kind of swung to the other extreme. And uh, I'm, I met a very personal God who speaks to us individually through the Holy spirit and speaks words of, of love and confirmation and um, assurance to us, not condemnation. So, and now, you know, I'm kind of feeling God, God to me is less of a personified thing and more of a, of a kind of this state of, of, of love all around us. We are told in the Bible that Bible, that God is love. And so whenever I see any act of love, regardless of who it's coming from Christian or not, it is an expression of God. And so I'm starting to see God in, in lots of lots more places than I ever imagined that God would, would be. And so God is there. If you just look for God. Oh, I love that. Um, can you uh, tell us a little bit about when you look for God, what is your relationship like and how do you connect with, with God? Like tell us a little bit about your practices, pathways, images. Yeah. Um, now I experience God, um, a lot through other people. Like I mentioned, when I see people who are kind and compassionate and loving, I see God in them, whether they believe that they are being God for someone else or not. I, I believe that they are. And I experience God through nature as well, especially when I'm sitting along a creek or a river. And there's just something about that moving water, making noises over the rocks that sets me at ease and I feel present with God. Um, so, you know, that, that, that's kind of how I experience God. I try to, I try to feel or experience God in um, every experience one way or another, even if it's a bad experience, I try to find where is God in this experience for me um, or in, or an experience for someone else? Oh, I love that. That is um, one thing that we get to do as spiritual directors is to help people see where is God in this? Mm -hmm. I think that's awesome. So I know that we're in pandemic and uh, that in this time that your connection to church has changed significantly. Um, what do you think that church will look like for you when, you know, church goes back to uh, regular services and whatnot? Yeah, well, right now um, we do not have a regular church. Our last church, as I mentioned, um, ended, up, ended up not going very well at the end. So now church is really whomever I can connect with online or in person. Um, you know, they don't really even have to be believers. I, th I think that just getting together with any friend for a beer or for coffee is church. Um, the pandemic has definitely made things much more difficult in getting together with people physically. So really my online connections have been the extent of church these days, and they have really been um, a lifesaver for me through the experience that we had with our church. So, um, so that's kind of what it is these days. And my wife and I have talked about what we want to do eventually with, with regard to church. Um, Honestly, the idea of walking into any institutional church of any denomination or flavor right now just 
um, causes too much anxiety. So um, we really, we really would love to ha uh, get a group back together to have something like the house church that we had for all those years before, um, before we joined the Anglican church. So we've talked about that. Um, we've kind of talked to some of our friends who were a part of that, that house church years ago, just to kind of see, is this something that you might be interested in? And we have new friends that we've made in the last few years that I, I think might be interested in something like that. So I think this pandemic has um, definitely changed my view of what I want church to be for the rest of our lives, or at least for the next phase. I'm not going to say for the rest of our lives, because who knows what's going to happen in the future. But um, right now, that's kind of what we're thinking. Oh, I love that. Um, especially with the knowing that you connect with people or you see God through how you connect with people. And so being able to meet online and then kind of living out that Acts 2 church that you've talked about in just gathering and having conversations, whether they're spiritual or not, is just part of doing life together. Yeah, um, I think that y'all would have an amazing impact through doing a house church in your community. Well, thank you. Let's switch gears a little bit since we are both spiritual directors and our podcast is called Spiritual Directors Talking About Stuff. I'd love to hear more about your journey to spiritual direction. You mentioned a little bit in your story about um, the meeting with people at the um, at the house church and then actually learning the phrase spiritual direction at the Anglican church. But tell us a little bit about the calling that you had that led you to spiritual direction. It was probably back in the early uh, to, it was it was in the very early 2000s when I began sensing a call to some kind of pastoral ministry. And like I said, uh, I didn't know what it would look like. And um, I I thought maybe counseling might be it. Um, and I, I did enroll in, in, in a uh, seminary program to, to learn how to become a, a biblical counselor. And then I realized, nope, this is not it. So I quit. And then I thought, well, maybe it's um, some sort of Christian education, like being an education minister at a big old Baptist church, because that was really all I knew at the time. That was my world. Um, and so I, again, entered seminary to pursue a degree in Christian education. And I realized that's not it either. Um, and I, I can't explain how it didn't fit or didn't feel right to me, but it just didn't. And so when I later moved to Knoxville and got... Uh, connected with this house church. Um, and I, I met the pastor and, and he had, he had been talking in, in the, the, the church meeting on Sunday morning about, uh, about people that he was meeting with. And I didn't really know what, in what capacity he was meeting with people. So I talked to him after that and he said, yeah, we just get together and talk and, you know, just whatever's on your heart. And I said, well, okay. Um, can we find a time to meet? He said, sure, let's, uh, let's do that. And so we did that very week. And, um, and it turned out to be one of the best experiences I've had because, uh, like I said, it, it really introduced me to, to listening prayer and how to hear and listen to the Holy Spirit. And um, I had some questions I was wrestling with. Like I mentioned, um, you know, should we go to this church or that church? And in that uh, context of spiritual direction with him or meeting with people, as he called it, um, I heard the Holy Spirit say to me that, you know, this is the, the house church is the one that you've been wanting. So that's where you should go. Um, I then also heard the Spirit say that maybe you'd be good at this kind of a, 
of ministry of meeting with people, Chris. And so that kind of that seed was kind of planted. Maybe I'll do this one day. Um, and then I just kind of forgot about it. And um, I met with him uh, over the course of about two years and then just kind of, it just kind of petered out. Um, but when we joined the Anglican church, uh, there was a, a Sunday school class on one of the first two or three Sundays we visited that church called, um, I think it was about contemplative prayer. And so we attended and one of the, uh, the people that were teaching was a lady who had just finished a spiritual direction training program at Lipscomb University, which is in Nashville. And I thought, well, that's interesting. I need to learn more about what this spiritual direction thing is. And so I'm, I got together with her and turns out, wow, this is the, this is what that pastor was doing all those years. He never called it that. And that's what I've been, I feel like maybe I'm called to. And I didn't even know that there are actually schools that teach you how to do, how to be a spiritual director and how to do it. So, um, I enrolled in, um, Richmond and, uh, yeah, it was, we did, two years of that program. That's where I met Maggie and yeah, spiritual direction has been a wonderful ministry that I have uh, thoroughly enjoyed and definitely feel like this is the, what God had been calling me to all those years. Oh, I love that. Um, that you were given such a clear direction for your life and that all the doors just opened. You found exactly where you, where you were supposed to be. And then that's where we met each other. So I think that is one of the best gifts that came out of Richmond. Uh, there's lots of gifts, obviously. Tell us a little bit more about your philosophy of spiritual direction and what you learned at Richmond and what that will look like for you. Yeah. Um, the, I think, you know, my very first experience with spiritual direction had such a profound impact on me. And that was, uh, you know, where we would just sit and listen to God and, um, you know, I, there was, there were some sessions where I would leave and felt like, well, that was a wasted hour, but it was still time to spend just sitting with God and, and listening. And, and I did talk a lot to my spiritual director as well. And, um, so that experience of just sitting and listening, I think was, was what really is what I think I want to build my my ministry on. And, um, I try to build in um, a lot of time for that in my spiritual direction sessions with people. Um, a lot of people are not comfortable with that amount of silence yet. So you just kind of have to work up to it, but I like to start with some time of silence. And I say, just, um, listen, just sit and relax and center yourself and listen to God. And whenever you're ready, you know, we can begin. And so, Sometimes people take 30 seconds. Sometimes people take three minutes, but rarely do, do they go beyond uh, three or four minutes. But um, so I let people just kind of listen and, 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 um, and then I ask them where they want to go, you know, what's on their mind, what's been, um, what's been in their happening in their life, either good or bad that they want to talk about. And, you know, the discussion can go wherever they want it to go. And, and so I'm just sitting there listening and, and just, and trying to also listen to the Holy spirit and, um, uh, pick up on, you know, things that they say that are, uh, that are profound or that need to be, uh, dug into like words that, um, uh, that talk about their emotions or how they feel about things or experience that they've had. And, uh, also look at their body language, which 
um, you can do when you're in person, but you know, when you're doing spiritual direction online, that's less, um, it is not as, as easy to do, but it's still possible. And so, you know, when people are, when people have certain reactions in their body or in their voice inflections, then we can, we can pick up on that and, and dig deeper and see and, and ask, what do you think that's about? You know, when you're talking about whatever, your voice started to tremble a bit, let's, let's focus on that for a minute and see what's going on. And so, you know, it, it's really, uh, my, my philosophy is just that to, to let the Holy Spirit go where the Holy Spirit leads. And, um, you know, sometimes I do walk out of a session where I was the director and I say, well, that was a wasted hour, but still there's some benefit to having sat with a person for an hour and listened and just let them talk about whatever it is that's on their hearts. Um, you know, a lot of folks don't have that kind of undivided attention anywhere in their lives. So regardless of an outcome at the end of the session, just having that hour of listening to them with my undivided attention is, um, is profound for them and makes a, makes a difference. And all that is so true that, um, you know, that any time spent listening to God is not wasted. Um, and it always, uh, kind of, for me, I notice every month when I meet with my director that it's never a waste, but also that, um, it really just kind of sets the tone for the next month of reminding me to sit and listen with God. Um, I love that, Chris, you mentioned your ministry. Um, it's called stepping stones life. Can you tell us, uh, where that name came from and a little bit about what you do through this ministry? Yeah. Um, it, it came from, um, I mentioned, and when I was talking about my journey that for a little while, while we attended the Anglican church, I even thought about becoming an Anglican priest. And so at one of my silent retreats, I was praying about this, listening to God about, um, uh, about becoming an Anglican priest, because it, when that, when the idea came to me of becoming an Anglican priest, it caught me off guard. I was very surprised. I thought this is strange. I mean, I, I never would have considered becoming an Anglican priest, but okay, well, well, I'll, I'll pray about it some more. And, um, so, you know, at a later, uh, retreat, I, was praying more about it. And I was really kind of stressing about it and wasn't sure if this was really what I heard, if I had heard properly or did you really want me to become a priest God or what's going on with this? And so as I was praying and just kind of had my eyes closed and was just listening, I got this picture in my head of, of a pathway in front of me with stepping stones on the pathway. And as I was kind of just watching that pathway, all of a sudden, all of the stepping stones disappeared except for the first one right in front of me that I was about to step onto. And, um, and I knew then, I don't know how I knew this, but I knew then that that stepping stone that was right in front of me was my ministry of spiritual direction. And God wanted me to move into that ministry, step on that stepping stone of spiritual direction and don't worry about what comes later because right now, like in the image in my mind, all the stepping stones had disappeared. So, um, and so now I kind of view that stepping stones pathway as a picture of the spiritual life. And we step on a stepping stone and God 
may have us park on that stepping stone for a long time before God says, all right, pick up and move to the next stepping stone. And when that's, that time comes, then that stepping stone will reappear, so to speak, or become apparent to us. Sometimes we are called to step out in faith and, and just make a step and, and pray that the stepping stone will appear by the time we, <laughs> we land. So, um, so that is how I'm, I came up with that note, that name, Stepping Stones Life Ministries. And um, uh, it, of course, is spiritual direction is really the core ministry of Stepping Stones Life Ministries. And um, I also am planning to offer some uh, guided retreats at some retreat centers around our area of East Tennessee. And um, I'm also very interested in the labyrinth, which um, is a, a ancient uh, spiritual um, spiritual tool and technique that um, has been around for hundreds of years. There are several labyrinths around town here in Knoxville. Typically they're at Episcopal churches, but even the Universalist Unitarian Universalist Church here has a, a labyrinth. So I, I want to introduce more people to that uh, tool of the labyrinth because it can be a really great experience. I've done it myself a few times at one of the Episcopal churches, and it's always really neat, just the, the physical act of walking through this this path and listening to God and when you turn on one of the, you turn on the path um, and it, it just kind of like it unlocks something in you and you hear that, um, oh, this is a, a new direction. What does God want to say to me now in this new direction? And um, I just, I love it the way that the path just kind of weaves in and out and gets closer to the center and you might start thinking, hey, I'm, I'm getting close. And then all of a sudden the path goes way back out to the outside of the labyrinth and you think, okay, well, it's not close at all. So, and I think that's a really uh, good picture of the spiritual life as well. So yeah, spiritual direction, uh, silent retreats and labyrinth walks. Those are three of the ministries that, that I'm um, have in place and, and are planning for stepping stones life ministries. I love that. The, the picture of a, standing on the stone where God has you now. Yeah. And uh, sometimes we'll feel like, you know, in a labyrinth that we're getting closer and sometimes we're farther, but just that ebb and that flow of the spiritual life. I think that is just so beautiful. Um, I'll talk a little bit more about the labyrinth in my, or in next week's episode as well. Um, that has had a huge impact on my spiritual life and yeah. So final question, Chris. Um, last week we talked about the fact that the sky is the limit when it comes to topics that we will talk about on this podcast. So what are you passionate about and what are some topics that you, Chris, would like to cover? Oh, let's see. I am passionate about helping people experience God um, because so many people, and I don't think my experience growing up was was um, uncommon and so many people never experience God. Um, so I just want, I just want them to have that experience of, of being connected and, and hearing God speak to them through their spirit. Um, so, so that is one thing I'm passionate about. So, um, yeah, experiencing God is, is a great thing. And then, um, you know, I think that 
there's there's so much uh, people are in so much bondage to beliefs that they have about themselves and doctrines that they were fed from from the church that are harmful and hurts that they've experienced through their lives. And so I really want to help them find freedom from those areas of bondage in their lives and, and spiritual direction is a great ministry for that. Um, I've also gotten pretty interested lately in spiral dynamics, which I've found to be a really, um, really insightful way to help us frame the spiritual journey. Um, and it's about stages of consciousness um, along the way. And, and so I feel like the Holy Spirit invites us all to evolve in our, in our awareness of, of God. And, and so spirit, uh, Spiral Dynamics has helped kind of put a good framework around how that happens. And uh, so I'm sure we'll talk about that at one point or another. Chris, I am really excited about all the things that you just talked about. And I know that there are so many more cool topics that are on the list as well. Um, for all the listeners out there, if there's any topic that you want to hear us talk about, let us know. Chris, it has been amazing to hear more about your story and how God has led you on all these stepping stones in your life to where you are now. And then next week, um, the tables will be turned and I will interview Maggie. So we get to learn all about Maggie's journey and um, what she's passionate about and her ministry. And so really looking forward to that. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time.